0: and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to to tell no one what had happened. This is God's word.
1: Please pray with me. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are the Giver of life. That You are the Sovereign King who rules over sickness, disease, and death. Lord, without that understanding, without this story, without Your Word, Lord, we would be left in the dark with no hope. But we have Your Word to inform us that You are the Sovereign King and that You will work all things together for our good, whether it's sickness or Whether it's disease and even death. Lord, we know that you again are the giver of life and that you have the answer of death. And that we will see you one day when we fall asleep. We will be raised again in the footsteps of King Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection. So, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And let our faith be found in you, strong, courageous. And casting out all fears and doubts that we may have facing certain circumstances that we have right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, can go ahead and have a seat. Well, again, happy Father's Day. And as we already said, being a father is awesome. I love being a father, I love being a dad, I love being a, a pap-pap, a papa. But it can be diff- difficult sometimes, can it not? Uh, I would like to describe fatherhood or parenting as a joyful grind. There's joys, there's times we're on green pastures, and there's sometimes where it's a grind. Uh, It can be disappointing, it can be disheartening. Uh, It's it's like the church, right? The the church would be perfect if it wasn't for the people, right? And it's like being a father. Fatherhood would be perfect if it wasn't for the kids, right, sometimes. Sometimes it's hard. Uh, Our kids can rebel and make choices contrary to our counsel, to our guidance, to the Word of God. And that can be hard. And then we have circumstances and situations like we read about today. Uh, when our kids walk through difficult situations, circumstances, and it seems like there is nothing that we can do as parents to help them. There's nothing we can do. We're helpless. We, we look at them and we see them suffering. We see them hurting. And we're helpless. I remember dropping uh, my daughter Masson off at Rocky one day, and I was just watching her walk up to the building in my rear view mirror, and I thought, there is nothing I can do to help her today. There is nothing I can do. I have zero control of what's going to happen to her as she walks into that school. It can be a tough situation. Well, today, today's text encourages us as parents, as fathers, as mothers. It gives us a hope that there is something that we can do. And that's something that we can do is by faith, we can appeal to King Jesus to intercede in their lives with His passion, His power, and His compassion. This section of Scripture is one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, because here we come again face to face with a compassionate Father and a tenacious King, Jesus and we have two great miracle stories wrapped in one. It's kind of like a little miracle group on. And so this is why I love this chapter. So first, let's look at a loving Father's request. A loving Father's request, Luke 8, 40 through 42. Now Jesus returned. Again, He was coming back from the Gentile region of the Gerasenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd welcomed Him, for they, the Jews, were all waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. So think of a pastor. He, he was responsible for all the temple worship in the, in the synagogue, all the worship in the synagogue. Uh, he would have known who Jesus was. Jesus would have preached at his synagogue. So he's a, he's a well-known guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a guy that's liked in the community. So this is Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And when he goes, he, he falls at Jesus' feet and employs him to come to his house, for he had only a daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. We see this incredible story of this desperate man. This desperate man, this loving and faithful father, sees his little girl, his little little daughter, 12 years old, on her deathbed. He has no power. Nothing he can do can help her except for Jesus. He sees Jesus coming back. He goes and he falls at her feet. And notice the intensity of his request. It says Jesus implored him, and Mark's account it says it employed him earnestly. The Jairus begged Jesus to intercede, to come to his house and save his little girl. And then also notice the humility. He fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. Why this display of emotion? Why this display of humility? Because Jairus' little girl was on her deathbed, literally on her last breath. She was the joy of his life. And she was dying. His world was crashing right before his eyes. But he was still going to fight for his daughter. And, And any daddy, any father reading this, this should hit you in your heart. This should hit you in your heart. I have two daughters, Taylor and Madison. Like I said, I have a granddaughter, little Evie. And when they are hurting, I'm hurting. As I said here before, there's pain, and then there's our kid pain. And when our kids are hurting, it is even worse than when I'm hurting. There's kid pain, and then there is their pain. And it's ramped up because this little girl is his only daughter. It's his pride and joy. I just want to encourage every dad in here, every father in here, have this kind of love for your children. Have have this kind of compassion for your children. Have this kind of fight for your children when they are hurting. When they are hurting. I know as dads, we're not called to show favoritism to our children. I have three boys and, and two girls. But if you're blessed to have a daughter, there's something special about that. Something unique about that between the hmm, daddy-daughter relationship and your influence over them as a father. About ten father's days, 10, ten fathers' days, ten years ago, 2012, my daughter Taylor wrote me this note. This is what it says. It is true that a mother has a special relationship with their child. But not many people think about what a father means to their child. Yes, a mother will teach their kids to do things like cooking and cleaning and how to act in public, but what does a father teach their kids? For me For me, my father teaches me to be a leader. And not to let me follow someone who could have a bad influence on me. My dad just doesn't tell me what to do. He shows me by being a leader for the people in his life. He also teaches me to be strong and smart in situations where I feel like giving up. Or not doing the right thing. Yes, a mother teaches her children great things. But there's something about a father that is different. For me, making my parents proud is awesome. But there's always more happiness in me when I make my dad proud. Not because I don't love my mom, but because there's just something about my dad that makes me feel this way. Some girls wish that they find a guy like their dad. Others wish they never will. I hope I find a guy like my dad. Holy cow. Thanks, Taylor. Our little girls are gifts from God. They're gifts from the Lord for us as men to encourage, to cultivate, to protect, to adore, to cherish and to nurture Fathers, have a heart like Jairus. Love your daughters. Fight for them like Colossians 3. Don't discourage them, but encourage them. So important for me and the pastor of this crossing that we as fathers are tenacious and tender. That we as fathers, we are strong, godly men who adore, pursue, pray for our daughters so that they know that we are their biggest fans, and not their greatest critic. My high school coach said this, and it's always stuck with me, he says, if you ever grow up and are fortunate to have girls, love them in such a way where they don't look for love outside of you until they find their husband. It's great advice. So men, look to Jairus as an example of a loving father. He's an example of a loving father, but he's also an example of risk-taking faith. He's also an example to us on how to pursue the Lord Jesus in faith. Because seeking out Jesus the way he did would not be popular. Remember, he's a part of the religious elite as we've been going through the book of Luke. He's a part of the, again, the, the faction of the religious elite, and they want to kill Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus, and yet he... Jairus is one of their own, he goes, he falls at Jesus' feet because Jesus is his only hope. This is risky for Jairus. He could lose his job, he could lose his standing in the community and he doesn't care because he knows his only hope is Jesus. So he takes a risk of faith and he goes in public and falls at Jesus' feet to implore him for help. We see Jesus' compassion he agrees to come to Jairus' home, and he begins to make his way there. and now second, we see this interruption. We'll come back to the story. this is like a, a sandwich in, in, in Mark's account, uh, that we have this interruption of the father's request in Luke 8:42 through 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for about 12 years, some kind of a uterine hemorrhage, probably, not a monthly period. It's been 12 years she's been bleeding. And thought she had spent all uh, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. This woman. This interruption shows us a woman in a desperate situation, a dire situation, a, literally a situation with no hope especially according to her. She has done everything in her power for help to try and heal this disease. She's went to all the doctors. She maybe even tried some other voodoo magic along the way back then with no success. In fact, all of her seeking the help from all of these doctors even caused her more suffering because she spent all of her money She was financially in ruin now because of this disease. So physically, she was being tortured by this disease, financially now in ruin. And then on top of that, she was an outcast in her community. She was an outcast in her own society. She was all alone. Because of this discharge of blood, it would have made her unclean in the law of Moses so she couldn't be around anyone or else she would make that person unclean, defiled. I just want you to think about that for a second. Could you imagine living in isolation for 12 years straight? No physical contact with anyone, ever, at any point in time. How many of you guys have liked to watch that show Alone? I like that show Alone on TV, have you guys seen that? Basically they take a bunch of people, they drop them off in these these places, they're isolated. And these are experts in survival. These are the toughest of the toughest. They're the baddest of the baddest, you can drop them anywhere and they're going to survive. Well, some of these guys get so freaked out and gals get so freaked out that the first day they tap out because they're isolated. Can you imagine being isolated for 12 years? If she was married, she couldn't feel the touch of her husband. She couldn't hug her kids. She couldn't celebrate their birthdays or their anniversaries. She couldn't go to, to their games or their dance recitals. No one could lay hands on her to pray for her for healing she was in total isolation she lived alone she ate alone she worshiped alone she was suffering and not only was she suffering but even worse than that she was suffering suffering in isolation with zero support scientists have shown that the amount of body contact plays a vital role in people's mental and physical development as infants and even in our happiness as adults we need contact. Touch is one of the first senses to develop in the womb and one of the last senses to leave in old age. It is vital. In fact, one kind of mother mother of family counseling said this. She stated that human beings need four hugs a day for survival, eight hugs a day for maintenance, and twelve hugs a day for growth. Now I don't know about all these hugs, but I think the principle is what we need to hear. We're not meant to live alone. We need the touch of one another. We need relationships and a community to thrive as humans. And she was alone for twelve straight years. As you guys know, I'm not a touchy feely guy. You might be shocked about just how I shocked I cried a little bit, a little bit. But that's not normal. I'm not a touchy feely guy. You can ask my wife and my kids. But I know the importance of touch. And I would be lost without the touch of my wife, without being able to hug my kids or go to their games and support them. This is the same as you. This lady lost her health, she lost her wealth, her relationships, and her community. If that happened to us, it would be like, man, we just might want to tap out, but not her. This is a strong woman. She keeps fighting. It doesn't let her stop putting her faith into Jesus. And again, like Jairus, this is risk-taking faith. Again, she's, she's ceremonially unclean. She can't be around people. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes back and there's this massive crowd, and she says, my only hope is Jesus. i got to get to Him. And so she takes a risk of faith. Mark says that this faith is so much... He, she, all she says, I just have to touch His garment and I'll be healed. So she clothes herself... She gets in the crowd, she probably has her head down, covered. She lets Jesus pass in verse 44, it says, She came up behind Him and touched the fringe of His garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Instant healing. I mean, Think about what she just felt and experienced in that moment. Instant healing. She felt the, the blood dry up or whatever. The physical, emotional pain gone, the shame and isolation resolved by one encounter with Jesus. Why this is happening in her, Jesus is like, verse 45, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter Peter said, Master, (laughs) the crowd is surrounding you and they're pressing in on you. And you're like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious, you know. Um, But verse 46, but Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceived that power had gone out for me. I want to, there's a lot I could say on this, but I just want to send, say this about this. One commentator said this, that Jesus can distinguish between the tussle of the crowd and the touch of faith. Jesus can distinguish between the tussle of the crowd and the touch of faith. Take that to heart. We can almost see Jesus in the crowd starting to scan the crowd looking for this person that touched Him. He's looking at intently of everyone in the crowd. Maybe he's even getting on his tippy toes and, and doing a 360 looking around. And then verse 47, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before Him, He de- declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Him and how she had been immediately healed. At first she thought she got away with it. She was just reveling in her joy of being restored and healed. But then all of a sudden, this fear comes over her because she found out that she was busted. Uh, fear and trembling came over her. She comes down to Jesus and falls down at Jesus' feet, just like Jairus did. Now, why did she do that? Well, one, probably she felt guilt for violating again the Jew- Jewish purity law. As an unclean person, you weren't. She wasn't allowed to be there. But she even touched a rabbi, and in Moses' law, that would mean death. So she might have been afraid that way, but I think there's a greater fear, a better fear. She had a heavenly fear. She had a heavenly fear because she just felt the power of God go through her body and heal her. She just felt the power of Jesus, His authority over her disease healed her immediately. All the stories she heard about Jesus being the Son of God, all the miracles that she heard about happening all over Galilee just happened to her. She was confronted with the Son of God. What she heard was true. It's the same fear when the disciples were afraid in the boat. It's the same fear of the Gerasenes when the demons was healed. It's the same fear that went over those people. They saw and confronted by the power and the majesty of Christ. And the disciples, when they were in the boat last week, as Rich Ty said, what manner of man is this? That literally means that this man is not from around here. Like he's from a different planet, literally. She felt the power of God. That's why she was afraid. So she comes, she falls at Jesus' feet, knowing that she is before the Son of God. And then we see what Jesus does. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't yell her for being unclean and coming and touching Him, what does He do? He he shows her compassion. She just experienced His power. Now this woman is about to experience Jesus' compassion. Look at verse 48. And He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Literally, daughter, your faith has saved you. Has saved you. In this one encounter, Jesus recognized this This lady's risk-taking faith in Him. And He reverses and restores all of her physical ailments, her her financial and her spiritual pains. And He does it with one word. Daughter. Notice that word, daughter. Circle that word, daughter. This is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus addresses another woman as daughter. Daughter. This is a special moment. This is a holy moment. This is a unique moment. This young lady has gone from an outcast on earth to a daughter of heaven. You might say in our language, she has gone from the outhouse to the penthouse. Jesus says, your faith in me has saved you. You've crossed over from death to life as an outcast to now a daughter of the king. And when Jesus asks this question, who touched me? He doesn't doesn't ask her for information. He knows who touched her. The reason why He asks this question is because He wants to draw her out. He wants to draw her out of the crowd. It could be phrased like this, who are you who touched my garments? Why? Why does Jesus want to draw her out? Because Jesus pursues sinners. He pursues the marginalized. He pursues the outcast. This is why He's come. He's come to seek and save the lost. So He wants to draw her out because He wants her to know Him more as a more than a miracle worker. He wants her to know her as her spiritual father. As her daddy. Salvation is personal. It's a relationship between King Jesus and you and me and her. So Jesus wants to draw her out. It's not about superstition or religious acts such as touching a a garment or a relic or, or seeing a TV preacher's prayer cloth or anointing oil that can send via FedEx, you know. No, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. He wanted to draw her out. He wanted to see her and call her His daughter. And secondly, He calls her out because faith in Jesus is public, it's not private. It's public. It's to be lived out before others. We see that when she comes forward, she gives a public confession and a testimony. Look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all why she had touched him. there's a confession, because he was her only hope. And then we see her testimony and how she had been immediately healed. Now they know just physically, but we know not only that happened physically, but we all have had insight into her heart. she was healed spiritually. She went from unclean to clean. She went from dirty to clean. You see, when Jesus died on the cross we're familiar with this term propitiation His blood propitiated or appeased or satisfied the wrath of God. The judgment due towards your sin and my sin. What happens with this lady? is another theological term that's called expiation. Expiation. And this is an incredible term. Propitiation deals with God saying, my wrath has been appeased. Expiation deals with your sin and my sin being washed away. Being taken from us. It's the removal of sin and guilt and condemnation. Again, she was in a state of uncleanness, and now she is perfectly clean. Uh, I like. I'm, I've been fascinated. I've been watching like a, like YouTube shorts or something on these uh, this this rug cleaner. I, mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but this like this 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 guy gets this ten by ten rug, and it's just black. And you're just like, man, what is that? And then all of a sudden he starts to get the power washers out and the brushes and he's spraying it and cleaning it. And all of a sudden he's washing away all the filth. He's washing away the years of dirt and grime. And all of a sudden this beautiful rug just starts to pop. The colors, the design, the intricacies. You just see it. Just, it's just beautiful. This is what also the blood of Christ does for you and me, for those of us that are in Christ. He takes our dark, black, dirty, grimy hearts and he washes us clean. And all of a sudden we see the brilliance of who we are as God's creator. This is what Jesus does. He washes her clean. And this is so important. we said this over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. Again, she's unclean. And the, under the law of Moses, an unclean person, if they touched another clean person, what would happen is the unclean would overtake the clean and cause the clean person to become unclean. But not here. When she touches Jesus' garments, it doesn't make Jesus unclean. But it makes her clean. Why? Because He is perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. And He is all-powerful. So when you and I, when this lady comes in contact with King Jesus, His righteousness overcomes our filthiness. This is what happens when the King of the Kingdom of Heaven breaks into earth. Because Jesus is holy, because He is sinless, because Jesus is gracious, because He is the Son of God. When she reaches out in faith, He does not become unclean, but she becomes clean. Listen, all of us need to hear that this morning. We need to digest that this morning. We need to believe that this morning. Whatever you've done, however dirty you are, however defiled you are, however sinful your life has been, whether in unrighteousness like the prodigal son or in self-righteousness like the older brother, when you reach out in faith to Jesus, the cleansing power of God was unleashed in your heart and in your soul. And He's given you a new life. He's given you a new name, daughter, son of a king. And he's given you a new identity. You have gone from a sinner to now a saint. And that's how He sees you. I love how the lyrics of this one song where it says this, At the cross. At the cross is where your love ran red and my sin washed white. Isn't that good? At the cross, your love ran red. He bled. He died on the cross for you and me. Why? So that He might wash us white. Some of you in here are hearing this for the first time. Jesus, through this woman, is extending His grace, His mercy, His righteousness to you today. It's called the great exchange. That He who who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. He's offering that to you this morning. Through repentance of your sin and faith in Christ. He's offering you to New life, to a new name, to a new hope, to salvation. All you have to do is reach out to Him in faith. doesn't matter what you've done, as we said here. His mercy, His grace is more powerful than your sin. So reach out to Him. Your life will be restored. You'll be washed clean from your guilt, your shame, and your condemnation. And you'll have a new name. You'll be a daughter and son of the King. It's incredible hope. An incredible promise. An incredible reality. Do that today. Well, third, we go back to the loving Father's request. We go back to that story. Look at verse 49 through 56. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came to him and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. While he was still speaking, remember this is, this is an interruption. Jesus and Jairus are going to Jairus' house and this, this woman interrupts him and Jairus is sitting right there watching all this happen. What do you think Jairus' response is? Don't sugarcoat this. If I was standing there, I'd be like, hey lady, get the heck out of the way. My daughter's on her last bed. Yeah, you might have been like this for 12 years. Great, you can spend another hour in this, in this circumstance, Right? Anyone else with me or am I just the only selfish one in here? This woman interrupted Jesus on his way to heal, Lord willing, his daughter. And in this interruption, he hears the word, your daughter is dead. Have you ever heard those words? I've heard those words a couple times when well, my mom passed away and My dad said, your mom is is dead. That that phrase is a a phrase of finality. No hope. And we we see what follows. We we, we see what follows. We follow what follows is a statement really of of unbelief. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's over. It's done. Look, while, while your daughter was still hanging on by a thread, yeah, Jesus, maybe you could have done something. But now that she's dead... No hope. She's gone. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. And notice immediately, verse 50, again, the compassion of Jesus. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe. And she will be well. Jesus, again, is about to turn his passion, his compassion and power on now to Jairus. Jesus is a compassionate Savior, even in death. Jairus tells, I mean, Jesus tells Jairus, Jairus, look at me. Jairus, look at me. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Jesus is saying that to some of you this morning. Some of you are are, are walking through a hopeless situation. You find yourself in a hopeless circumstance. These words that Jesus said to Jairus, He's saying to you this morning, do not be afraid, only believe. Keep keep your eyes on Me. Keep your focus on Me. Do not be afraid, but believe. Believe. You see, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. And faith is what conquers fear. They can't be both existing at the same time. Either one is ruling you or or the other is ruling you. And if you're in fear right now, keep your eyes on, look to Jesus. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus is reminding and encouraging Jairus and you and me this morning. Keep your eyes of faith on me, because yeah, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I love how one said this, I think it was Joni Erickson Tyler that said this, but she said this. Sometime, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You see, for whatever reason, in this moment, Jesus allowed Jairus' daughter to die, to pass away. In our minds, we can't understand it, but in that moment, that was the best thing that could have happened to Jairus. And we think, no way, how is that even possible? We know Scripture says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. But we also know that whatever, if we're in Christ, He will cause all things together for our good. And we hold on to those promises. So for whatever reason, Jesus allowed Jairus' daughter to die so that he could do a greater work in Jairus' heart and in his life. So, again, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, you're right where the Lord wants you. And that's tough to understand. I know I've been there. But in those moments, where else do we have to go? Where else do we put our hope in except for Christ and His goodness and His power and His compassion? So, trust Him. Do not be afraid. Believe. Verse 51, they finally get to the house. He takes in Peter, James, and John. He's done this a couple times throughout, where He just takes these three, leaves the other nine disciples outside. Their families and friends are there crying because Jairus' girl has died. But Jesus says, don't weep, for she is only sleeping. Sleeping is just a metaphor of of dying. And of course, they, like us, if we would have heard that and been there, they laughed at Him. But man, look at verse 54 and the compassion again. Put, your, put yourself here and see the compassion of Jesus. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up once. And he directed, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Probably Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Don't you love this scene? Do you see the compassion and the tenderness of Christ serving this family? He kneels by this little girl. She's dead. He grabs her hand. That's a no-no. Again, that's one of those unclean things. If you were alive, you were not to touch a dead person because that would make you defiled. That would make you unclean, but not so with Jesus. And he says to the child, arise. And life is restored. Life is back into her and she, she gets up. She looks at Jesus This is a restoration of life pointing us to the resurrection of life for those who are in Christ. This is something that you and I will experience. One day you and I will go to sleep. We will die. We will pass away. But we will be raised like this little girl but in a much better way. As this girl opened up, her eyes, the first person she saw was Jesus. When we fall asleep and we wake up in heaven, the first person that we will see will be Jesus. The first voice that she heard was Jesus. The first first voice that we will hear will be Jesus. This is a picture, an encouragement to you and me for future hope. Daniel 12:2 says this, "And many of those who are asleep in the dust, who are dead, sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content." The question is, what's the determining factor? to which place do we go? Do we go to heaven? Do we go to hell? What's the determining factor? The determining factor is what we saw in Jairus and in this woman. It's faith. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus. So, do you believe in Jesus this morning? As you walk out those doors, because literally, what's on the line is heaven or hell, and where your soul goes. So, today is the day for salvation. If you are not in Christ, to repent, to begin, wash clean, to trust in Jesus, take that risk. You've tried everything else to satisfy, to bring you security and peace. Why not now go to the One who created you, who made you the King of kings and the Lord of lords and who will receive you, forgive you, love you, and call you a son and a daughter? Let me end with this. Faith. Faith opens the door to the power of God. If you want the power of God in your life, believe in Jesus. And watch Him come in. And take over. And again, your faith doesn't have to be perfect. We see both in Jairus and this woman, their faith's not perfect. Again, this woman just thought, maybe a little superstitious, I just have to touch his garment. doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be perfect in the one in which your object is directed to of faith, and that is King Jesus. That's where you need to be perfect. That's where you can't make a mistake, that you and I look to King Jesus as our object (coughs) of faith. Martin Luther great reformer lost one of his daughters. And this is what he said. He was devastated, obviously. He was one of the lowest points of his life. His little beloved daughter, barely 14 years of age, was stricken with the plague and she died. He knelt beside her bed and begged God to release her from the pain. But God didn't. He, he chose to take her. And when she died, they put her in a coffin. The carpenters were nailing away at the lid of the coffin. And Luther screamed out, Hammer away. Because one day she'll rise again. Do you have that kind of hope this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for these two stories wrapped up in one. These stories declare your power and your compassion. Uh, These two stories declare risky faith on the part of of Jairus and this woman. This story declares your ability to wash us clean. To give us a future hope. And already not yet hope. As you, as you see us now, even though we still battle with sin, in, in your eyes, our identity is a son and daughter of the King of Heaven. We are our saints on our way to our heavenly home to be enjoyed with you. So again, I pray for everyone in here that they know this reality. That you are their King. But more importantly, that you are their Daddy. And they are your daughter and sons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.